Well, hey guys, what's up? Hey, my name is uh, Davis. If you don't know me, I'm on staff here at Veritas, and uh, I get to speak like once a semester, and I love doing it, but uh, this semester I kind of drew the short straw uh, because my topic for you guys tonight is church scandals. Who's excited? <laughs> uh, unironically, I, I am. Um, I think the thing about me, though, is when I write these talks, I usually really struggle to come up with examples. Like, illustrations are not my strong suit. Uh, however, this time, finding examples was really kind of sadly easy. Um, and I, the first one I want to show you is uh, from a podcast. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It came out, I think, last summer. Uh, it's okay if you don't know it, but I wouldn't be surprised if you do, because this was like one of the fastest growing podcasts of all time. Uh, and it talks about Mars Hill, which was a church out in Seattle uh, run by a guy named Mark Driscoll. And this was a huge, thriving church that ended up collapsing all because of a scandal around the pastor. And I think it'll be kind of a good um, setting for the conversation we're going to have tonight. So let's listen. When abuse is done by a pastor, it becomes spiritual abuse the way all abuse is but then it also means that god has been dragged into it and he is on the side of the abuser i really don't have words for the kind of damage that that does to a soul when a small group of us started what would become mars hill in 1996 we could not have dreamed it would be what it is today you know i was in the blogosphere for 10 years and i knew for a fact that my numbers shot through the roof whenever I blogged about Rob Bell or Mark Driscoll. There's a few guys, but if I wasn't gonna end up on CNN, I would go Old Testament on them. There's very real chronic trauma that comes from serving within systems like this. Why does this story play out in other churches? Why are we not looking at the deep-seated reasons for this? Nothing will change some of the amazing things that happened at Mars Hill and nothing can change the pain and hurt and devastation that also people experienced at Mars Hill. The rise and fall of Mars Hill. Kind of heavy, but I think it sets the, the pace for the conversation because that was a huge, thriving church. And now because of the leadership, because it fell, uh, the legacy is not positive. It is not all the people who came to know Jesus. It's not all the good that they did for their community. It's that. And unfortunately, they're not alone. I think all the headlines that used to be really shocking are now kind of shockingly common. Uh, sometimes it's even as big as full denominations. Uh, the Southern Baptists um, have a headline right now. After major investigation, Southern Baptists confront the abuse crisis they knew was coming. The Houston Chronicle and San Antonio Express News collect 380 allegations spanning 20 states in an unprecedented look at sexual misconduct across the entire denomination. And I don't think we need any headlines to talk about the Catholic Church and, and the scandal that kind of seems to be incredibly pervasive there, but did you know that CNN actually has an entire page on their website that is dedicated to just updating stories about scandal within the Catholic Church? So these aren't just singular churches. These are systems of churches that are getting caught up in scandal, where it's not just isolated you know, churches or church staffs or pastors. It is multiple. It's almost like, a, like an epidemic. But sometimes it's not even just 
churches. Sometimes it is the, the very high-profile, almost celebrity-like pastors that run them. And when they fall, their church ends up falling too. Uh, maybe you know of a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Uh, he is a big, big, big-time apologetics pastor. Here's what happened. Ravi Zacharias hid hundreds of pictures of women, abuse during massages, and a rape allegation. His ministry, preparing to downsize in the wake of a new investigation, expresses regret for misplaced trust in a leader who used his esteem to conceal his sexual misconduct. Or what about Carl Lentz? Hillsong, huge church, responsible for a lot of the music that you guys probably know. Their pastor, Carl Lentz, the rise and fall of Carl Lentz, kind of a, a nod to that podcast we just listened to, the celebrity pastor of Hillsong Church. It goes on to describe that he... Uh, you know, in a private video conference with staff members and volunteers at the church's East Coast branch on November 19th, a recording of which was obtained by the New York Times, uh, Mr. Houston described the church's discovery of more than one affair. They were significant. But sexual infidelity was only one piece of the story. Mr. Houston also connected Mr. Lynn's dismissal to general narcissistic behavior, manipulating, manipulating, mistreating people, as well as breaches of trust connected to lying and constantly lying. That's not a great way to be described in the newspaper. And there are, unfortunately, a lot more examples. I mean, I think that these are just the headlines. These are just the really popular, notorious examples. I think we would be naive to assume that this is the only time when this stuff is happening. Unfortunately, I think this stuff is happening all over the place, all the time in smaller churches. People are misusing their power. But this is what people see when they look at Christianity. This is how people see Jesus in his church right now. Sexual abuse, infidelity, misuse of power, cover-ups. Those are the words that people think of when they think of Christian churches right now. I think that this is one of the biggest issues that the church is facing right now because it seems like church after church and pastor after pastor are falling and we don't know what to do about it. Like, these aren't just isolated events. This almost seems like a system of a church that is just broken, that is just hurting people, that is just caught in scandal after scandal. I feel like that just kind of leads me to the question of, like, what do we do with that? Like, if all of this is true, what in the world do we do? And before I say any more on that, I want to recognize that there's probably a wide variety of people here tonight in a room this size. Nobody's coming from the same experience when it comes to church when it comes to faith, when it comes to who you understand Jesus to be, when it comes to your experience with scandal, maybe even. Like, we all come from different places. Some of you, or maybe some people you know, would not call yourself a Christian. And, and to be honest, a lot of this is maybe why. Like, you're just sick of people cramming the gospel down your throat, telling you that Jesus changes everything about the way that you live, but then the people telling you about him clearly don't seem to be changed. It doesn't seem like they're living the gospel out at all. Why would I want that? Why would I want to join a church that's potentially going to hurt me? Why would I want to follow a God whose people act like this? I was actually talking to a guy the other night who said this is like one of his biggest fears when he's talking with people about his faith is that he knows when he brings up the fact that he's a Christian or when he wants to talk about going to church or, or even Veritas. We're not a church, but when he talks about it, he's terrified because he knows that his friends know these headlines and they are ready to throw them in his face. Not because they're trying to be mean, because they genuinely don't want anything to do with that stuff. Some of you here maybe consider yourself Christians. Maybe you're part of a church, you're a member, or you actively attend, and, and you are trying to follow Jesus, but you read these headlines, and it kind of makes you wonder, makes you maybe doubt whether this is a place that you want to stay. 
maybe you like the church, but, you know, over time, you're just, you just get tired of seeing example after example after example of churches falling. Maybe you've seen people love others better outside of the church, outside of Christianity, than you ever have inside of the church. And, I mean, people are messy. When you put them in the same room, there's going to be mess. But getting inside the church and seeing the mess firsthand, honestly, is, is a reason that a lot of people end up leaving. Maybe some of you are embarrassed by the church. I mean, put me in this category. I am genuinely embarrassed of these headlines, and I dread, because I know that there's going to be another one. I don't know when it is. I don't know who it is. I don't know where it's going to come from. But I know that there's going to be a headline. Well, you know, We're going to wake up one morning, and it's going to be yet another church or yet another pastor. And it's just embarrassing. It feels kind of silly to be a Christian when this is how Christians are acting. It makes Jesus look silly because these are the people who are meant to be representing him. And then I think some of us here just genuinely don't know what to think about this. You know, I think we read the headlines and we're like, I can't do anything about that personally. So either I'm going to kind of privatize my faith, I'm just going to kind of go off my corner and I'm going to worship Jesus without the church because it's just really messy or I'm just going to kind of stay in my lane and I'm going to love the people I can love and I can't control anyone else so I'm just going to kind of let them go and do their thing and to be honest I think all of those responses make sense to me like I don't fault anybody for any of those responses because I think that like evil is evil no matter who's doing it but when it's coming from people who claim to follow Jesus it does not just affect Christians I think it affects everybody and so I want to go back to that question of like what do we do with all of this because it seems like it just keeps happening like what what is our response supposed to be and i think that if we're going to take comfort in anything we should take comfort in the fact that like we're not alone in that like if our frustration towards the church comes from all of these scandals then we are not alone in that if you hate scandals then let's go ahead and read matthew 18 verses 6 to 7 says if anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me this is jesus talking to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's not good news for the pastors who are hearing this. It says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. So pastors that are getting caught up in scandals and causing people to stumble are being told, woe. You never want to hear Jesus say woe to you. That's not a good news statement. So if you hate scandals, great, so does Jesus. You know, if you hate sin, let's read Psalm 97, verse 10. It says, let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of, their, of the faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So if you hate sin, great, so does Jesus. If you hate hypocrisy, Titus 1, 16, says they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good so if you hate hypocrisy great so does jesus and so this is where i kind of i know we've been kind of in the heavy stuff so far but i want to move on to the good news because we are not alone in this stuff we are not alone in our frustration towards a church that does not look very much like jesus and it's not wrong because we think it's wrong it's wrong because jesus has always said that it is wrong you know jesus was constantly dealing with people in his life who were living contrary to what he said and speaking to them pretty harshly right some of the people he spoke most harshly to were the Pharisees. They were these religious leaders who spoke really highly of their faith, but then lived pretty different than what Jesus actually told them to. And I think sometimes I wonder, like, is there ever any consequence for that? Like, what about all these religious leaders who just keep talking about Jesus and then live just totally differently? Like, 
what happens there? Do they just kind of get to say whatever they want and then live however else, and we just kind of have to take that? Well, no, there, there is justice for that, but it's not ours to give, it's Jesus's. Uh, in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, he actually addresses this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Continues, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. That's also not something that you want to hear from Jesus. That's not good news either. And so like I said earlier, this stuff is not okay, but it's not just because we think that is, it is because Jesus says that it's not okay. And so, you know, to go back to that question of, of what do we do about this when this stuff just keeps happening, I want to talk about that. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about, like, what do we do with this reality that this stuff is not okay, but it is still happening? And the first thing I want to say is that we should look to Jesus, not just his people. Because one of the kind of funny trends that I think I see around this topic of scandals is that when a pastor seems to fall, their whole church comes crumbling down around them. And we've talked about how some of that is because, like, they feel betrayed, right? Like, these are people who are forming genuine spiritual connections with their pastors. You know, these pastors care for people, and they serve them, and they're generous, and they teach them, and they live life alongside them. And so it, is, it makes a lot of sense to me that, like, you would feel hurt and betrayed by that and maybe even leave that church if that pastor proves that they're not who they said they were or that they don't believe what they said they believed. But I think if we're honest, sometimes this actually just reveals who we're worshiping in the first place, who we're actually following. You know, I think it's, it's a true statement to say that God appoints people uh, to shepherd his people. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us that. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. And so God's design is that we are going to have people who are over us, who are going to shepherd us to him, but that they're going to be trustworthy, specifically because they're going to have to give an account of how they shepherded people to Jesus himself. And at the same time, they're people. So they're going to fail. They're people, and so they are sinful. And so they are going to get caught up in trying to build their own kingdom. This happens all the time. Jesus gives somebody power, gives them authority, he gives them a position, and then they get distracted, right? Because people have mixed motives. And so they get distracted, and rather than trying to build up Jesus' name, they start building up their own. I'm at risk of doing this right now while I talk to you. Like there is, hopefully, the majority of my heart right now that wants you to hear the gospel and what I'm saying, that wants you to walk out of here saying, man, Jesus is beautiful. But then there's a little voice in the back of my head that says, man, how do I look right now? What do you guys think of the way I'm speaking right now? Do you guys, like, am I going to get compliments after this? Am I, am I going to get to speak more often? Like, there is a part of me that wants to use this, this, you know, minor platform that God has given me to build my own kingdom. But I think that if we get stuck just blaming pastors and, and ministry staff and, and church people for that, then we're kind of missing the point because oftentimes I think we are guilty, too, of settling for those kingdoms. Like, we, we settle for the people rather than Jesus himself. We know that those people are going to fail us, but we try to build our faith on their backs, right? Like, we try to turn those people into Jesus, and I think it's a harsh reality, but, like, I cannot be Jesus for you. Kyle cannot be Jesus for you. Alex cannot be Jesus for you. No pastor or ministry staff member or person that you look up to can be 
Jesus for you because we are limited people. We are going to fail at this. But the good news is that Jesus will not. John 10, 11, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus, the good shepherd, does the thing that none of the other people that he appoints a shepherd can do. He lays down his life completely for his people. He sacrifices for them, and in dying, and then being resurrected and ascending to heaven, he purchases with his blood, he cleans them of their sin, and now he purchased eternity for them. So Jesus is offering an eternal hope, an eternal peace, an eternal joy that I couldn't possibly give you, that no earthly person could possibly give you. And so why are we getting stuck worshiping people? Why are we letting them become like these bottlenecks for our churches where when they fall, everybody scatters, when we could be worshiping Jesus himself? The second thing that I wanted to, to kind of address is, um, you know, if we're coming to worship Jesus and if we are actually focusing on him, then I think we should listen to what he says about the church. And before we get too deep into that, I want to just recognize that the word church is really messy. I've already used it in a bunch of different ways. It's like this weird mishmash where like sometimes we're talking about the church like it's a building. And sometimes we're talking about the church like it's a group of people. And sometimes it's a phrase for all churches out there. And sometimes we just say church like it's a service or church like it's an idea. Like it's such a messy phrase or, or word. And um, so I just kind of want to narrow in and actually look at what Jesus says about the church. I want to read Romans 12.5. says, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. And so that doesn't say the word specifically, but we'll get there in some verses. But Jesus says that the people who follow him form a body, that they are joined together in a community, that they cannot separate from one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 kind of continues this idea. It says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So that's not a choice. If you're following Jesus, you are part of this body. And that's not just like a random body. That is the body of Christ. And so in some sense, that just means like a group of people that are in Jesus, but that also means the body of Christ is, is when people look at the, the church, when they look at this body of people, they should see Christ. Church is meant to reflect Jesus to the world. But is that just kind of a, a vague group of people without a purpose? No. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 clarifies it for us. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so this group of people, if we are looking to find hope, if we are looking to hold to the hope we profess, then what are we going to do? We're going to gather. We're going to meet together. And so there's a sense in which this group of people is not just called to something vague. It's not just a collection of people. It's not just a community but we are called specifically to gather together. We are called to be a group of people who gather together as Christ followers to worship him and to help each other follow him, to spur each other on, to love and good deeds, to encourage each other, to do all of the things that a church is meant to do. Following Jesus faithfully takes the church. It takes other people. It is not something that you and I can do alone. And so with that, I want to look at what Jesus did for the church. Because I think some of you might be wondering, like, okay, cool, Jesus tells me to be part of the church. It's a group of people. But, like, can't that just be my Christian friends? Like, can't I just have my Christian community, right? Like, 
We spur each other on. We encourage each other to do good works. Has Jesus seen the church lately? Like, why is he telling me to step closer to that? Why would I want anything to do with that? Like, I would, I would much rather just have my Christian friends and, and pursue Jesus with them. I think another way of putting it, or maybe the question behind all of that, is that we don't like the church. We don't want the church. And so we start to ask the question, like, is the church worth loving? And so I've got an illustration. <laughs> Might be a little goofy, but we're going to try it. Because I think it helps make a point. I think if we're asking that question of, is the church worth loving? Is the church lovable? Is the church worth staying in? Is the church worth fighting for? On the one hand, we have, no, absolutely not. And on the other hand, we have, yes, it is. And so I think what happens is, you know, we all are, are coming into life and it's even, right? Like, we have no evidence. But then, unfortunately, scandals come along. We get Mark Driscoll. We get Carl Lentz. We get the Southern Baptist Church. We get the Catholic Church. And all of a sudden, there's a ton of evidence that says, no, the church sucks. Why would I want to be part of it? Move on. Find something else. Pursue Jesus alone or don't. Who cares? His people are messy and not worth loving anyways. So forget the church. But then, we ask Jesus that question. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. What does Jesus say? He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So when we ask Jesus the question like, is the church worth loving? Is the church worth staying in? What does he do? I gotta be careful so these guys don't launch. He dies for it. Jesus takes his bride, the church, whom he loves more than anything, and he dies for it. Jesus knew all of the evidence against the church. He knew past, present, future, all of the garbage that was going to exist within his churches, all of the terrible things that his pastors were going to do, all of the terrible things that were going to happen in churches. And, and we say, yeah, that means they're not deserving of love, right? we got to just move on. But Jesus said, no, I love it. I see the potential in it. I love it anyways. It's not deserving but that's not what matters. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus does. And so now it actually doesn't matter how many more rocks we put over here, how many more scandals there are in the future. Like, that's not going anywhere. The answer is permanently, unequivocally, yes. Like, the church is worth fighting for. It is worth staying in. Jesus died for it. I think it's tempting to say, that's great, but I want to just pursue Jesus on my own. I don't need the church like you're saying. I don't want the church like you're saying. But I want to encourage you to join a church because I don't know if I've been clear enough. We are called to step towards the church, not away from it. We are called to refine the church and make it more beautiful. And I don't think that just means part of Christian community. I don't think that's just something that we get to pursue on our own terms. I think that you should join a church because churches are where we do all of the things that Jesus' followers do. Church is where we come together to worship and sing and pray for each other and sit under good teaching and serve alongside each other and become conformed into the image of Christ. Church is where all of that is happening regularly. Jesus calls us to gather as a group of people who are pursuing him. And church is where we do that. Veritas is amazing. 
I love Veritas. I was a student here. I work here. I'd like to work here for a long time. But Veritas is not a church. Veritas is a ministry. And so we do some church-like stuff. We worship and we gather and we encourage each other. But we're not a church. There are some things about church that we cannot offer you. And so I want to be clear and, and maybe a little bit challenging that if you're not part of a church, one, I know a good one. We're in it right now, the crossing. I don't mean to be funny about that. Like, I genuinely mean, like, if you have not come to a service, I would love to see you Sunday because I think that church attendance is incredibly important. And not just attendance, but participation and, and active membership in. We are called to be part of a church, and, and Veritas cannot give you everything that you need to follow Jesus. And so I think that if you call yourself a Christian, if you say that you are following Jesus with your life, but you're not part of a church, I, I really do think that you're missing something about what it means to follow Jesus in your life. So to somehow kind of transition out of that, um, I just want to spend the last couple minutes of tonight asking, what does that look like? What does the way forward look like for us? If we have all of this as a reality, and then we've got the reality of Jesus' death, what does that actually mean for us? Like, if we're going to be people who follow Jesus as a community, then how do we actually do that? And even if you're somebody here who's not following Jesus, if you're not interested in that, that's okay. I frankly think you should still be interested in this because wouldn't you rather live in a world that is full of Christians who love people and look like Jesus did rather than all of the headlines we read earlier? So the way forward, the first thing I want to talk about is uplifting. Part of lifting the church up, refining and, and making it more beautiful is helping each other see the beauty that already exists in the church. There was a, a Twitter thread that popped up kind of around the rise and fall of Mars Hill stuff and, and the Hillsong stuff. And uh, it starts with a tweet. I don't know who the guy is super well, to be honest, but he says, mega church pastors exposed. Having spent a great deal of time around these people, I've learned some things I've kept secret, but my conscience will not allow that any longer. So here goes, all story is true. Pastor A led two different churches over 10,000 people, quietly stepped aside to help plant a church in an area that needed one. And now, instead of speaking at huge conferences, leads a morning Bible study with recovering addicts and volunteers his time renovating widows' houses. Pastor C, I'm skipping a couple because there's a lot. Pastor C eventually wrote a best-selling book and leveraged the earnings to A, repay the church every dollar they'd ever salaried him, and B, launch a group of nonprofits serving the poor, and C, reverse tithe. He gave away 10% and he lived on 10 rather than the usual give away 10 and live on 90. Pastor E could be speaking at a huge church or event every week. Instead, you'll find him in a public park with a hat and a coat on. He lives in a cold region, just so you know. Every Friday, doing personal evangelism, incognito, and praying for people he meets who are in need. I met Pastor F, pastor of the third largest church in the U.S., when I was 16. He spent two hours a week asking me, or letting me ask him questions about how to be a pastor. Later, I found out he said no to a nationally televised interview to keep his meeting with me because a righteous man swears to his own, I think that's supposed to say word, and does not change. And so there is example after example of pastors doing really amazing things, of loving people super well. And Josh, finish, Josh finishes this thread by kind of voicing, I think, some of the concerns people might have when we read these, which is like, great, if these stories are out there, where are they? Like, why are these not the pastors I'm hearing about? And I think his response is really brilliant. He just says that planes that land safely don't make the news. Planes that land safely, you know, when a flight... 2A takes off from O'Hare and it lands in L.A. at 7 p.m. Nobody's writing a news article about that. That's ridiculous. No, because that's what planes are supposed to do. Airports are launching 
tens and thousands of flights up every day and they land safely at their destination and nobody's writing about that because that's how it's supposed to work. And the good news is that churches are doing the same thing. Tens and thousands of churches every day, or if we want to take it worldwide, like millions of Christians and churches every day are faithfully following Jesus and helping the people around them do the same thing. We just don't hear about it because that's what churches are supposed to do. That's the intended mission. That's not news. And so, you know, there's all these documentaries and movies and podcasts. I literally just got an ad for one while I was standing up in the booth before I came up here. Uh, there's all these stories about all the ways that the church is messed up. But I don't want you to leave here just because we talked about some, thinking that, like, that is the truth. That is part of the truth. That is a reality about the church that we have to face. But that is not all reality. The church is messy, sure. But Jesus died for it anyways. And the great news is, like, there is so much beauty to be found in the church. And so, like, let's talk about it. Let's uplift each other. Let's point out the beautiful and not be afraid because it sounds like we're trying to wash out the scandals. No, those don't wash away the scandals. Only Jesus can do that. But I do think that these encourage us to start living like this. And so the second step, I think we should pray for that. I think that we should pray for churches and pastors and ministry leaders that they would continue to be obedient and do the good work that Jesus has laid out for them. I say ministry leaders because we need that at Veritas. Like, I need that right now. I don't know of anything. I don't think that, that you will ever hear a headline about a Veritas staff member doing something like a Ravi Zacharias or a Carl Lentz. But if we're honest, like, we have just as much potential to. We're just as human and, and just as sinful as all of those people who have made these grave mistakes. And I bet they didn't think that they were going to end up there either. And I would, I would hate for that to be our community. And so, like, please, this might sound selfish, but, like, pray for us because we want to continue to live lives that are obedient and faithful to Jesus so that we can help you guys do the same thing. But I don't want to just focus on us because I think that's really easy to just talk about leadership and then move on and take away personal accountability because it's okay to expect God's people to be following God, to be faithful to him. But our first question shouldn't be, are they faithful to God? Our first question should be, are we? We have to look inwards. So my last thing is, is live like you represent Jesus. You know, if you're living in sin, you should be far more concerned with uprooting that sin in your life than you should be in pointing it out in somebody else's. Like, I don't get to sit up here and, and read these headlines if I'm secretly having an affair or have a porn addiction or, you know, name whatever sin. You don't get to sit there and, and judge your Christian friends who are out sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend while you're getting drunk every weekend. Like, we just don't get to, to play the comparison game. And nor should we, right? Because Jesus died for all of us. But that's not a call to just keep living in sin and, and pointing at people whose sin looks a little dirtier than ours. That's a call to live differently, to be cleaned, and then to pursue a life of holiness. And so I want to reiterate, Veritas is not a church, but I do think that we could be a community of people who look like Jesus. I think that we could be a community of people that is so like Jesus or is at least becoming more like Jesus that when people at Mizzou or Columbia or your workplace or whatever stage of life you're in right now, if the people around you look at you and they find out you're a Christian, maybe their first reaction is to, to look at all of the headlines and say, I know who Christians are. I know about you. But then when they get to know you, it's nothing like what they've read because you're loving and you're kind and you've been made patient and you've been made gentle and you have self-control and you're not just letting sin run rampant in your life, but you're fighting it at every turn. And I think that we can pursue 
that beautiful image of Jesus as a group of people. You know, we can gather on Tuesday nights and that's awesome, but this is not just a Tuesday night thing. This is an all of life thing. So if we hate scandals, then let's be a group of people that like break the narrative, that are not caught in scandals, that are not living contrary to what Jesus said, but are increasingly living and looking just like Jesus did through his spirit. That's not just us working, that's Jesus working in us, but we can pursue that. We can grow closer to Jesus and look more like him as a group of people. We can be a community that prays for each other, that prays for our church. We can be a community that puts our hope in Jesus over other people. We can be a community of people that fights sin. I've said it a couple times now, but if you walk away with anything tonight, I want you to hear that you should be fighting sin in your life. Sin is not just something that we get to hold on to and deal with privately and hope that it goes away someday. Sin is something that we should be bringing out into the light because Jesus has died for us and he's forgiven us and he has given us grace because reality is like, we're gonna fail. We're going to sin. But if we're fighting it, then we have this opportunity now in Jesus to show each other grace and we can be honest with our sin. We can be a group of people that when we mess up, we don't hide it. We don't let it fester. We don't let it turn into scandal. But we can bring it out into the open and we can ask for forgiveness because we know that Jesus has already forgiven us. And if our community is increasingly growing in grace and obedience and faithfulness, then we'll be forgiven there too. And sometimes we might have consequences for that, but that's okay because Jesus has proven that he loves us anyways. And so I'm just gonna go ahead and pray for us kind of to that end that we would be a group of people that are increasingly looking like Jesus, fighting sin in our lives. uh, And that when people look at Veritas as a community and then the crossing as a church, that they don't see anything like the headlines they read, that it is a markedly different picture. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the reality that we are forgiven already in everything that we are going to do and all the ways that we're gonna continue to mess up. You have died for us. You love us. We are your bride and you see so much beauty in us in what already exists and and what we will become. And it's encouraging, but I think it also should be challenging. You know, it's disheartening to read headline after headline of people who we thought were following you, who, you know, and at least the way that they live externally, it's kind of clear that they aren't. Jesus, we just ask that you would be changing our hearts, that you'd be working from the inside out, that we would be becoming people who look like you, not just in our personal lives, not just when we're sitting down and reading our Bibles, not just when we're having conversations with our Christian friends, but in every area of life so that when people look at the body of Christ that is this room of people, when they look at the body of Christ that is people who come to the crossing, that they would see Jesus. Jesus, in your name we pray.